0: Hi, good morning, everybody. Doing okay so far? A lot going on. Hey, uh, it's a new year. It's January 11th, but for me it's still like in the month of January, which means it's New Year's resolution time. Are any of you New Year's resolution people? Okay, this is what I found out. I have a small group of guys I meet with. I'm the only one who does a New Year's resolution still. Come on, people. Let's like do some self-improvement stuff. So you guys are all over it. That's cool. I still do it. Did you know, though, even though you may not be a part of it, what is the number one um, New Year's resolution? It is to lose weight. lose weight. Totally. I am right in that sweet spot. Um, man, I'm part of that statistic. Every New Year's, January 1st, like, all right, this is the year I'm going to get a six-pack. And uh, it never really works out. But in my mind, I have this mental picture of who I want to be. And now I just need to come up with a plan to get there. I don't know if this is about you. This is all my issues. I mean, it's messed up. I have—you can read it through all my sermons, um, and I'm just going to put it all out there. It's January 11th. This is my food issues. I am a closet eater, a binge eater. I get stressed out, and I eat like crazy. I'll lead a leadership team, and I'll hit 7-Eleven, and I'll get a Twix, sushi, and a Slurpee. All—and I down it before I even get home. I know, Lauren. I'm a new man, though. January 1st, new man. Is that disgusting? Okay, so these are all my issues. I'm working them out. Jesus has helped me. But here's the deal. I have this desire of who I want to be. And uh, in order to get there, it's really simple, right? Calories in, calories out. You have a few less calories in as you have calories out, you're going to gradually lose weight and I'll be the person that I want to be in my mind. Now, the problem is it's too hard. That system is too hard. Calories in and calories out, too hard. So there's gazillions of weight loss options out there, and I've tried them all. I did this late night one that said, you spend 300 bucks and you get a menu, and he said, if you eat this, you're gonna lose your belly fat. I did that. Well, okay, I paid for that, but I didn't really do it. Um, Remember Slim Fast back in the day? Shake in the morning, shake at lunch, pizza for dinner. That didn't work out for me. Um, Atkins, I did Atkins too. How awesome is that? Eat meat. Okay, and cheese. Awesome, meat, cheese, all day. Except, have you noticed, anytime you go and eat meat and cheese, there's always French fries. So you only can hold out for so long. But even though the meat and cheese, it's a system. And if you work within that system, you can lose a ton of weight. But the second you touch a French fry to your tongue, your whole body out of control, and you gain it all back. Um, so you name it all. Weight Watchers, all of them. I've done them all. And what's interesting is every weight loss system is specific. They have a specific plan, a specific way to do it, a specific rhythm. But man, we're from Marin. No one tells us what to do. So I like to have an omelet in the morning for Atkins, a shake at lunch because I'm really busy, and then a large pizza for dinner. And somehow I think I'm going to lose weight, and it never does. And like all things, it's interesting, our identity, the things that we want to be, we know what we want to be. We know who we want to become. Most people are actually pretty clear on this answer. Who do I want to be? Now the hard part is, what are the things I need to do to get from where I am now to that part. Now here's the worst part. All of us actually know what we need to do to get from point A to point B as well. We just hate it and don't want to do it. So we spend lots of money and eat shakes and do all this kind of weird stuff in order to get from point A to point B. Well, this morning, we're going to take a look at that, but in a spiritual way. In general, pray for me and my food issues. Those are going to be ongoing. But today, we're going to talk about on a spiritual level. And last week, Jeff did an incredible sermon uh, where we looked at who we are, our identity in Christ. And if you have not heard this sermon, you need to go back. I wasn't here. I was taking kids to high school camp. But I went on the website, downloaded it, listened to it on a run. You should listen to this sermon. It's probably one of the best sermons preached in our church in a very long time. Who are you in Christ? There's some good news there. Great. Awesome. This morning, again, I get the heavy lifting. How do we get from point A to point B? This week, uh, we're going to look at how our identity actually shapes how we connect with God. So we go, okay, this is who we are in Christ, but now we need to figure out how do we actually connect to God in a way so that we can live out that identity. So if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 15, verses 1 through 15, and we're going to unpack this passage of Scripture together. Jesus says this. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I also will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine, and neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches." If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers, and such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciple. And may God add his word of blessing to his word this morning. Amen. And amen. Now, Jesus never got the memo that the way you do a good talk is the Oreo method, which is you say something nice to the congregation, and then you give them something hard, and then you say something nice at the end. Jesus misses that totally. Jesus comes straight out right away and says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. And if you're a Jewish listener, right away you're just offended as all get out because Israel is the true vine. Israel is the true vine. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I now am the true vine, and you don't need to connect to be a, fo- a son of Abraham. Now you need to be connected to me, and that's how you'll bear much fruit. And then he goes right after he offends everybody. Then he says, and then he cuts off every branch that doesn't bear fruit. That's Jesus, how he starts. Me, we're going to dial it back a little bit, okay? So we're going to do the Oreo method, and we're going to do something nice in the, in the front. We'll get to the hard stuff in the middle, and then we'll come to some nice stuff at the end. Okay? Can you hang with me? All right, let's do it. So Jesus says, I am the true vine. So let's, we're going to answer this question. How do you connect to the true vine? What's so interesting is all those weight loss methods, um, they all work only when they are one unified thing. When you submit to Weight Watchers, then they work. When you submit to Slim Fast, then it works. When you submit to Paleo, it works. And the exact same is true in our spiritual life. We don't just do spiritual things, and that's how it works. We submit to Jesus. Jesus says, I am the true vine. When you connect to me, Jesus, you bear much fruit. There's lots of things that we can do that are spiritual, that are self-fulfilling, that will actually boost us, will make us feel better. But the spiritual fruit that God wants to grow in us only happens when we connect to Jesus. Now, last week, it's interesting. I mean, it was just an awesome sermon, Jeff preached. He gave us six identities. Listen these. We are clay, and God is the potter. We are sheep, and God is the shepherd. We are servants, and God is our master. We are children, and God is our father. We are friends. And Jeff didn't really say this, but God is the alpha friend, the one who picks what movie you go to. And God is our beloved. Or in the picture of Scripture, God is the husband. In the picture of Scripture, we don't really like it in Marin, but in the picture of Scripture, it's the husband's the head of the home, and the wife submits to that. Honey, we're still working that out. It's okay. Um, But, and that's the picture of Scripture. And in this picture, we are his beloved, but he is our leader. He is our head. And in all those identities, they're incredible identities. They're things that we want to live into. But every single one of them only works when you understand who you are in relation to the other. Clay, great. It only works in relation to the master and to the potter. right? All six of those identities only work when we are submissive to Jesus. Jesus is the top. Jesus is the master. Jesus is the shepherd. Jesus is the alpha friend. Jesus is the husband. Jesus is all those things. And we are second. We come under that and we submit to that. And submission, we hate talking about that. But if we are going to be the people that God wants us to be, if we're going to grow the spiritual fruit, if we're going to be connected to the true vine, Jesus Christ, it begins with understanding every facet of our identity has to come under the lordship of Jesus. Oh, that's so awful on a New Year's. I'm sorry. I meant to go happy in the first part. We'll get there in a second. Um, So those are all these different facets because we are complicated and complex people. And all of the different facets of who we are, God wants to make and redeem and use for his glory, but it only works when we submit to it. Now, I love what uh, what Michael is doing in in the worship uh, set here today. We did a clappy song. And uh, I don't know, how many of you are clappy people? A couple of you, more than, uh, more than New Year's resolutions people. Awesome. I'm not a Clappy person at all. And uh, we had our little worship planning meeting, and it was super funny. we were like, we're going to do a Clappy song. We're like, oh man, how's this going to go? And we started naming some of you. Who's going to be a Clappy person? Who's not going to be a Clappy person? Can we do this thing? And what's interesting is, for a long time, it's hard to realize that there's so many different ways that we connect to God. And for a long time, I spent a bulk of my spiritual life in, the, in an evangelical church, kind of like this, where... The people who knew and loved Jesus the most were clappy people, right? They were the people who could emotionally engage in worship. They would weep up and they would raise their hands and, uh, and, and then they would cut you off on the drive home. But those people <laughs> knew and loved Jesus the most. And me, I'm not a clappy person. And I was like, oh, do I not know and love Jesus? But I do know and love Jesus, but I'm not a clappy person. And how does this work? And, uh, and I came across this book that I want to recommend to you, which... Just changed my life. And if you are wrestling with, man, I love Jesus, but it seems like those people around me love him different. How does that work? I highly recommend this book. It's called Sacred Pathways by uh, Gary Thomas. And if you've read the five love languages, it's the same sort of thing. Instead of having five love languages in which you interact with, so, with a friend or a spouse, this is basically saying there's nine kind of different ways in which we connect with God. God is very huge and complex. We're less complex but we all have different personalities and there's different ways in which we engage God. So there's the clappy person, right? They're called the enthusiast. They love worship. They love being excited and being excitable. And they love encountering God that way. There's the activist who goes, quit singing. We got to go do stuff for Jesus. There's world hurt and poverty and sex trafficking. Quit singing. Let's do stuff. And they just go, and that's their thing. Other people, like they love learning all the facets of theology and understanding all the way the Bible works and comes together. And they're called the intellectual. There's me who's like, oh, the naturalist. Man, when you go out hiking and there's no phones and no kids bothering you, and you can just be quiet and hike and your body's all hopped up on an endorphin, you're like, "This is great. I'm with God and his beauty." Um, there's all sorts of different. There's nine of them in this book. I highly recommend it. Now what's interesting is, all of us are made in the image of God, and there's things about that if we do certain things, we will feel better. Like people, naturalists, one of our tendencies is we can. The feeling that we get when we're away from our kids and away from our phone and we are hiking in the wilderness by ourselves, it's like, oh, so good. But it's a very small movement to being like, that just feels good. Because it does feel good and not do one thing for our spiritual life. The only way that the naturalist actually grows and bears fruit is when that is connected to Jesus. When the activist goes out and starts wrecking shop on people about poverty and racism and all these things that they are so passionate about, It only works and bears fruit when Jesus is the center of that. For my clappy friends who love worship and being the emotional experience of worship, that only works when Jesus is the center. And you think, well, how is he not the center of worship? It is that emotional experience that it's very easy to take Jesus out of every single one of those intellectual endeavors. All those things— are great, and they actually make us feel better. But if we're going to bear the spiritual fruit that God has for us, we need to be connected to the true vine and realize that Jesus needs to be the focal point. So we may all encounter Jesus different. We may all find different pathways in which we're going to know and love Jesus more fully, but Jesus Christ has to be the center. So how do you connect with God? We have to find our spiritual pathways. We have to realize what part of our identity is God shaping and connect with God in that way. God I'm a clay right now, and you need to forgive me and mold me. I'm a sheep right now, God, and you need to lead me. Man, God, I'm a, I'm a servant, and I will do whatever you ask me to do. God, I'm a child, and I just need you to care for me and protect me. God, I'm your friend, and I just want to enjoy you. God, I'm your beloved, and I love you, and I worship you. So we need to figure out where we're at, and we need to figure out what is our pathway. And when we do those things, we're connected to Jesus, and we bear much fruit. All right, middle of the Oreo. Here we go. What happens when you're not connected to the vine? No bueno. Jesus comes right out. This is what he says. Every, um, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while he prunes every branch that does bear fruit. He goes on to say, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers, and such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. This is a really hard passage of Scripture, and when I was thinking about what I was going to say this morning, um, I tried to find a couple of my two favorite passages of Scripture and preach those to you, but the one that I'm like, this one's the best one, and then it had all this hard stuff in it. And what's interesting about Scripture is the hard stuff in Scripture is some of the best stuff in Scripture. The most amazing, beautiful things in Scripture about God's love, His grace, His mercy, being children of God, all those things which are so great— are so great because they're tempered with, they're they're balanced by, they're informed by some of the harder things in Scripture. And so in this passage of Scripture, Jesus has a very clear point that he's trying to make. And it is a hard point, and we're going to sit in that challenge. Um, What's so great is like, when you think of you're the clay, Jesus can smash it up and throw it away. So some images, it feels like, man, Jesus is going to chuck us at the moment's notice. Some images, you're a child of God, you're my beloved, and I'm never going to chuck you and throw you away. So this morning, we're going to live in that tension a little bit. But Jesus comes right out and says, My desire for my people is to bear fruit. Jesus is an intentional farmer. He doesn't just scatter all these seeds and go, I hope it works out. When you drive out to Napa Valley, those guys are very meticulous to grow vines a certain way. They prune them, they hedge them, they care for them because they are growing fruit. They're not just like, oh, it's pretty, isn't that great? No, they want to bear fruit. That's the whole reason they do what they do. And God longs for his people to bear fruit. God made us, he knows us, he's in relationship with us because he wants us. To bear fruit. That is his intention. And if we're not going to bear fruit, in this metaphor, Jesus says, well, when we cut off those branches and we chuck them, because every farmer knows every branch that sits around not producing fruit is, actually takes energy away from the vine from producing fruit from the people that are. And the people who are producing fruit, man, we're going to prune them and tweak them so they, so they produce even more. So Jesus' warning is do not be disconnected. Do not be useless. And what's so interesting is many of us come to church with this idea of behavior modification. If I do this, then God will do this. If I do this, then God will do this. This is how I need to behave, and then God will not be mad at me. And that is not the story of Christianity at all. Christianity is about being connected to the vine. Our identity is being connected to Jesus. Because of Jesus, we are beloved and friend and child. Because we are connected. And because we are connected to Jesus, we bear fruit. We don't try to be more loving and gracious and peaceful and kind. We're connected to Jesus and he does those things. This last week, I took some kids to high school camp. We had an incredible time, and the speaker reminded me of this really incredible passage in Jeremiah. And uh, and I just want to share with you again today, because it's just this—it's a funny passage. I mean, prophets back then had a unique task. Jeremiah, prophet of Israel, God comes to him in a dream and says, buy a linen belt. How cool is that? It's like, you need to go to the mall and buy some new clothes. Jeremiah's like, sweet. He goes, buys a belt— Puts it on, ties it up, and uh, he's like, look at my new belt. Then the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah again. And uh, he says, hey, take that new belt, uh, go to this town, and hide it in a rock. And Jeremiah's like, well, that sucks. I like my new belt. But he's a prophet, so he takes off his belt. He goes, and he puts it in a rock. A while later, the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah again. And this is what he says. So I went to Paratha and dug up the belt and took it from the place where I had hidden it. But now it was ruined and completely useless. When the word of the Lord came to me, this is what the Lord said. In the same way, I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. These wicked people who refuse to listen to my words and who follow the stubbornness of their hearts and go after other gods to serve and to worship. What an interesting picture that God has a use for us. He has a task for us, like a linen belt, a belt that holds up pants. It does a thing. But when it's eaten away by bugs and mildew, it's, it's, it's not good for anything anymore. And uh, the, the prophet Jeremiah said to the people of Israel, Man, you are like this belt. You are useless. You listen to your own things and you worship false gods. We know who God wants us to be. We know the identity that he wants us to be. We know those things. It's clear. I could take any middle schooler right now, bring them up there and say, What are you supposed to be? They're going to know. But how do you get from point A to point B is that we actually have to be connected to God. And the second that we stop listening to God, the second we stop worshiping, other, uh, worshiping things besides God, we become disconnected from the vine and we become useless. And it is heartbreaking for anyone um, to see something that's useless. Um, what's interesting is in the real world, and I know it's harsh, you're like, God, why can you be so harsh? But this is what's so wild. In the real world, you would never tolerate your friend being taken advantage of by their kid. When your friend's kid is taking advantage of you, or if you have older kids and they are just milking you and for every dollar you're worth because you just don't, you know, they're just finding some weird family system and they're just working you, all your friends are like, come on, your kid is working you. You had a kid, you raised them, they should be productive members of society, and now all they're doing is sucking all of your resources out and you feel bad about it all the time. You, as your friend, would be like, come on, step up, this is ridiculous. Or if you had a friend and you're watching that friend and their other friend and the way that the other friend is just emotionally manipulating and they're so codependent and it's so unhealthy. You as their friend, as a third party, would be like, that's ridiculous. Tell that friend you don't want to be their friend anymore. Cut them off. Like in the real world, in our lives, people that are, are useless and people that uh, abuse us and people who wreck us and manipulate us, we want to put up boundaries and clarify and push them away from us. Like That is the real world Wouldn't it make sense that God, our Heavenly Father, the one who made us, the one who made us in our image, man, he does not want a bunch of spoiled brat kids. He wants kids who are going to be productive members of society, that are going to do things for his kingdom, that are going to represent him well. That is God's desire for all of us. And how heartbreaking it must be for us as we continually be just spoiled brats all day and every day. It's so heartbreaking as a youth worker um, to watch... um, our high schoolers sometimes. They, some of, over the course of my ministry here and in other places, I've just seen some incredible athletes. I mean, some of the most amazing athletes have come through our ministries and different ministries I've been a part of. And to watch them do the thing that God made them do, it causes such joy. Like the, that movie, um, what's the running movie? Da-na-na-na-na. Chariots fire. Yeah, you know, that brings pleasure to God. You know, like you see that in the life of these kids when they do the thing that God made them to do, whether they're baseball players or football players or swimmers or runners or whatever it is. It's like when they do this thing, it causes such joy and pride. You're like you are doing it. In the same way, it's so devastating when they didn't study well and they get a D and their whole grade goes below a C and they, because of grades, can no longer play that sport, especially now with inflated grades. There's no excuse, guys. Let's be honest. But the, right, the deal is like, how awful. The thing God made you to do, you don't get to do because you were disqualified because you couldn't make grades. What an awful thing that for us that we would be disqualified from the thing that God calls to do because we're not making grades, because we will not commit and connect to Jesus. All right, that's the middle part of the Oreo. Kind of hard. Okay, we're going to move on. So, but what happens uh, when you are connected? So how do you be connected? Man, you have to know who you are, know who your identity is, find your pathway, and actually do it. When you're not, you're not you don't bear spiritual fruit, and, um, and you're useless to God, and that breaks God's heart. But lastly, but when you are connected with God, when you, you bear much fruit. I love Galatians chapter 6. It says, what does it look like to bear fruit? Well, the fruit of the Spirit is love, and joy, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, Gentleness, faithfulness, a little out of order, sorry, and self control. Against such things, there's no law. How cool. Wouldn't that be great if your life was not marred and uh, defined by being bitter and anxious and short tempered, but was defined by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness and self-control. What if those were the things that marked our life? Well, we don't have to sit around and try, 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 try to be more loving. That's not how it works. If you want to be more loving, if you need more patience, if you need more self-control, the way it works is the effort in trying to be more patient goes into being connected to Jesus. When you're connected to Jesus, he will bear the fruit. Your energy goes into connecting to Jesus. Jesus' energy goes into you to mold you and to shape you and to transform you. And what's awesome is when you bear fruit then God can use you. God has a huge task for us as a church. God is using our church to be his light here in this county. And because of you are so generous, not just in this county, but in the whole world, the whole world is being changed and transformed because of our little church here in Marin County. And God, like what we're doing is great, but what God wants for us is so much bigger. And it begins by us individually and corporately being connected to Christ letting him mold us and shape us and transform us. And when we do, we actually are part of bringing a part about the kingdom of heaven on earth. How cool is that? So that's good news. All right, I have three final thoughts. All three, um, as I was wrestling with this passage all week, I was like, God, I, like, I know how to get from point A to point B, and, um, but that middle ground, none of us ever want to do. I've proved it in my weight loss life. i prove it spiritually. What are those things? What are the things that are going to help us get from point A to point B? And here's some final thoughts. These were mostly for me, but maybe you'll find encouragement or challenge in them as well. The first, I had to say try because the reality is no one does it. So the best we can do is try to embrace pruning. Pruning is part of the spiritual formation process. A true vine cannot have the most amazing grapes that will make the most amazing wine unless it is pruned. Left wild, they'll just be average and mediocre grapes. So if we are going to be the spiritual giants that God dreams for us, we need to say, God, you need to have your way with me. You need to prune me. Now here's what's wild. If you've ever seen a little tiny sapling, super easy to mold and manipulate and change. You know, you can, you can bend it and you can get it to where you want it to go. The longer that a, a branch is wild, the firmer it gets and the harder it gets to the point where it ends up breaking off totally or is super painful in order to break to the will of the farmer. And many of us in our lives, or at least in portions of our lives, we have these branches that are firm. They are hard as a rock, and we need Jesus to actually cut those pieces off. But to say, God... I'm going to embrace pruning. You have somewhere you want me to go. Psalm 32, verse 8 and 9 says that it talks about, I have these instructions for you, but don't be led led around by a donkey with a bit. God has a thing for us, but we don't want to be a stubborn mule where God has to take the bit and fight us to get there. He will get us to where we want to get to, but when we submit to that process, it it is so much better. And the reason why I say try is because anyone who's in the middle of a pruning season, a true pruning season, It is awful, and they hate it. And no one's like, this is awesome. It's only people on the fringe of the pruning. They're like, oh, yeah, that's kind of hard. Or I see what God did. But in the middle of it, it is awful. So I'm not saying, hey, you're being pruned. No, and if you're a Christian friend and you say that's somebody, you are from the pit. Don't do that. It is not helpful. So we need to embrace pruning. But the reason why we gather together is because if you are in the middle of a pruning season, you need someone next to you to go, oh, I see you. I see where you've been. I see what's going on right here and God is doing something in you and I'm going to be strong with you as we get through that. Or, man, this is what God did to me when I was through that season. So we have to, pruning is awful. It's the worst part of farming but if we're going to be the people that God has for us, we have to try to embrace pruning. All right, another bit of bad news. We're in this year of yes. It feels so good. Yes, yes, God. Whatever you want, I'm going to say yes. You have these great purposes. My dreams, your dreams, it's all great. Well, that's only half the story. Only half the story. Every yes begins with a no. I have a certain way I want my abs to be. I'm only going to get there if I say no, and truthfully, that's too costly, so God bless you, Katie. I'm always going to be a little pudgy around the middle. The no's are too costly. And if we're honest, a lot of the no's in our lives are too costly. But if we want to be the people that God has for us, if we want to live most fully into the identity that he has for us, if we truly want to have a year of yes, we have to say no. It's so funny. Every kid in our children's ministry and student ministry say, hey, how do you grow in your walk with God? Pray, read the Bible, go to church. It's not rocket science. It is not rocket science to do the things that you need to do to grow. But there's too many things in your life that have crowded it out. And the hard message is, what do you need to say no to? What are the things or thing that you need to cut out And it is really hard to cut out and say no to this so you can have yes to this. Because this yes is only an intellectual exercise. It only becomes a reality when you actually start saying no and putting it into practice. And the last point, the key is holiness. If you want to truly experience the love and grace and intimacy with God, you have to become more and more like him. You cannot be a punk, rebellious kid all the days of your life and have a good relationship with your parents, right? If you're a punk, rebellious kid and you walk with God, God still loves you. He's still your spiritual dad, but your relationship is always going to be strained. It will never be the dream that God has for you until you embrace holiness. What's so funny is in our real world, think of all the real world situations. If I want Katie to love me, if I want to be in good relationship with her, then I actually need to become more like her. I need to do the things that she likes doing. I need to be attentive to her and submissive to her. And when I am, she likes me back. Or if I have friends in my life, I'm like, oh, I want to be closer and better friends with that person. I don't become closer and better friends with that person by just being near them and then being a bossy jerk. No, I'm actually submissive to them and I learn from them and I do the things that they want to do and I'm close to them, right? And I become better friends with them. If I want my boss to like me and be proud of me and think I'm doing a good job, I don't stand around and grandstand and go check out how awesome I am and get in his face all the time. I submit to him. I think, what does he want for me to do and do what he wants in my relationship with him is better. It happens in our real world. I mean, the real world works because God made us that way. And the exact same is true in our walk with God. If we want intimacy with God, it only works if we're going to strive for holiness. And we all have deep, dark, hidden sins that we don't want to talk about and that are hidden. But those deep, dark, hidden sins have to be dealt with. They need to be worked out. They need to have a plan of habits to say, no, I'm done with these things, as well as God's transforming power to heal us and shape us. Because if not, if we, don't, um, if we don't embrace pruning, if we don't say no, and if we don't strive for holiness, then it is just simply an intellectual exercise where for one second we feel good at church that God loves us and wants to be our dad. But if we want to live into that and be sons and daughters of the king, used for his work, for the expansion of his kingdom, then those are three things that we need to do. I want to end our time with my favorite passage of Scripture, especially it's my, it's my New Year's resolution passage. It's my Monday morning passage. It's my January, February 1st, uh, March, April 1st, every first of the month passage, and it's the start of the New Year passage. And I think this morning, if we want to live into who God has for us, God holds no records of wrongs. Our rebellion only keeps us far from God because we keep running. The second we submit and turn and ask for forgiveness, we're back in his lap, ready to be a part of what God has for us. And I love this passage. God is so long-suffering. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 says this. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, and therefore I will wait for him. There's a reason why Jesus says every day we pick up our cross and follow him. Every day, we connect with God. In the morning, we meet with God, right? So that we can experience that God's mercies are new every morning. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get out of here. Heavenly Father, and our gracious God, you are so gracious, so long-suffering, so patient. For you have created all of humanity. You've created us in this room specifically with a unique purpose. You've given us unique gifts and unique passions, unique talents. You have unique histories that you long to redeem and use. You have these dreams for us, God, that are incredible. And for many of us, we have taken the shadow of that, the easier road, and have missed it completely. And we have all sorts of carnage and wreckage behind us. God, this morning I pray that you would forgive me, that you would forgive us, that you would redeem me, that you would redeem us, and that we would live into the promise that if we simply connect to you, Jesus, you will be the one that grows fruit. You will be the one that prunes us. You will be the one that cares for us so that we can give you honor and give you glory in all things. And all of God's kids said, Amen. Would you stand for this blessing? And I'm going to let the words of Lamentations be our blessing as we leave here today. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 says this. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassion never fails. They are new every morning, and great is your faithfulness. I will say to myself, the Lord is my portion, and therefore I will wait for him. May we wait for him and go where he leads. Amen. And amen.